This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode that you're about to hear is live and unedited. If you're interested in watching the live stream, head over to facebook.com slash recoveryrevolution100. We record a new episode every Monday night starting at 7 p.m. Central Time. All right, what's going on, everybody? It is another episode of Recovery Revolution Live. So glad that you could join us, and I'm excited about tonight's guest. I think I'm I'm thinking I'm going to let Jr. introduce her tonight because they met um, at the. Uh, oh, I just went blank on the name of the of the recovery thing that was in Vegas. Oh, uh, why did I blank on it? Jr. will correct me whenever he gets on. Um, but anyway, guys, excited to have you on as always. I'm Brett. I'm going to be one of the hosts tonight. And um, like I say, every week we're going to we're going to put out the audio version of tonight's broadcast as a podcast a little bit after this is done. And I also have another podcast called Recovery Survey that comes out every Wednesday morning. They're a little bit shorter, usually about 30 minute episodes. So I'd really, really appreciate it if you guys would check both of those out. And while you're there, leave us a rating and a review that really helps us be seen by more people and, and hopefully get that recovery message out there. So without further ado, I'm going to bring everybody on screen and JR can do the introduction of tonight's guest. Hey everybody, JR. I am happy to announce my good friend, Joanna Vance from West Virginia, a fellow mobilized recovery person and just simply amazing person. I mean, I, I remember, what was it, about three, four years ago, used to send me videos to the page. I'm like, yeah, let me share these. You know, she's got a good message. And look at her now. She's traveling to D.C., doing big things. I mean, she she is the definition of recovering out loud. Awesome. Oh, awesome. thank you. Um, and uh, in the studio, we were just talking about uh, how we met, and I told him, I was like, well, we actually never got to really meet until in person until Mobilized Recovery, but when uh, a couple, I think it's been three years ago, JR, when I started advocating, um, you know, a lot, and like on social media, you were, Recovery Revolution was one of the very first pages that I ever reached out to. I was like, hey, I'm trying to make this change in my community and I need more people to see what I'm doing so that they can help and be a part of it. And honestly, you were one of the only pages that responded back. And like, you know, like you said, the rest is history. We've been doing this I think three years now. It's crazy. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing how we how we how we bonded back then. I was like, yeah, she's got a great message. Let me let me. Go, I'll share your stuff. And look at you. I, I was. Uh, I remember. Uh, what was it? Last year, Mobilize Recovery, where where we had to do the Zoom meetings. So you know, we got to talk a little bit then, but that wasn't the same as like when the finally this year we got to meet in person. You know, I met so many amazing people at Mobilize. Yeah, you were one of the first people that I even saw when I got to Vegas. Like, I literally just got to the hotel and I seen you outside. And I was like, oh, my God, it's you. We did. We we met a lot of great people that, like, I've formed relationships with over social media. And, you know, you don't even realize, like, the kind of bond that you form with someone 
and like that you've known them forever and then never really met them in person and like the people that support you that have never even really met you like it just blows my mind I love our like recovery family our mobilized recovery family like it, they really helped me through the pandemic yeah I mean yeah, it's, it's, it's so exciting to watch somebody grow into their recovery I mean, you? I mean you've, you've just blossomed I mean, I, I'm like, uh, I'm posting, yeah, I'm super proud of her. You know, she's, she, she started, you know, out there, you know, trying to get her message out there. Now look at you. I feel like it's just a mess all the time. <laughs> like always working on a project, always have something new. Um, So I guess I should be telling people who I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am a person in long-term recovery and what that means to me is I've not been bound by a life of substance use disorder since March the 13th of 2016. Um, I am an organizer and an advocate for the Recovery Advocacy Project and I'm actually a recovery fellow for the American Friends Service Committee. So what once started as, you know, me just advocating on my Facebook page about little issues in my hometown that were big issues to me now is like stuff on CNBC News and NBC and going to Washington, D.C. and going to Vegas and, you know, getting to like advocate and organize and work with people from all over the nation on, you know, all of the issues that directly and indirectly affect us. <laughs> he left. That was a good intro, Jake. Yeah, I guess I should have before I swapped to that view. JR <laughs> has left the room. It's okay. <laughs> and he's back. Awesome. Well, would you mind maybe telling us a little bit more about your recovery journey, how you got into recovery, and, and just kind of letting us know what that looked like, what your life looked like, and, and maybe how that sparked you to want to become an advocate for people in recovery? Well, um, okay, so I grew up in Southern West Virginia, and my hometown is very, very little. Uh, there's like one stoplight in the whole entire town, and that's like in front of the courthouse. But um, so my parents were people who used drugs, and they were in that lifestyle, you know, my whole entire life, so kind of grew up that way. You know, they um, were affected by the prescription pain pills that came down from Big Pharma, and they went to their doctors, and they got their medicines, and then it just, you know, bloomed from there. Um, I lost my father to a fatal overdose on Thanksgiving Day 17 years ago, actually this coming Thursday uh and you know I would really like to say that I didn't follow in his path but generational curses are hard to break and I spent the next 10 plus years in my own active drug use and um you know that was it was had its ups and downs. I left my small town and went to the big city, you know, ins and outs of the clubs, got to see things that, you know, weren't Southern West Virginia. Um, and let's see. I, I didn't really 
really, I don't really like to talk about my active use a lot. That's not something, I mean, if you guys have questions, I'll answer them, but like skipping forward to 2016, I found myself in a place to where, you know, I just didn't want to exist anymore. I just wanted to die. Um, you know, I didn't really want to kill myself, but you know, the next, uh, the next shot or the next drug, I was hoping it would be my last. And I didn't think anything about any of the after effects. And in February of 2016, Chris Stapleton released a song and a video for suicide awareness, and it was called Fire Away. And in the video, there was um, a woman who was suffering from mental health issues, and she had tried to commit suicide, and her husband had saved her, and then she did actually um, afterwards commit suicide, and he wasn't there to save her. And it showed, uh, you know, the ambulance coming and picking her up and taking her away, and it said, had the EMT workers that said, 26-year-old female with self-inflicted lacerations to the wrist, you know, it showed her in the hospital with her in the hospital dead with him standing over her body and then how it impacted him afterwards. And it was just so impactful on my life because I had never, I never thought about what would happen if I was actually to die. And just hearing the words 26 year old female with self-inflicted lacerations to her wrist, like I was 26 at that time. And, you know, it just hit home with me and I was like I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to live this kind of life I don't know how else to live but this isn't how I want to live anymore and um I actually self-detoxed at home um I always practice you know uh positive outlets for negative energy. I play the piano and I paint and I spent a lot of time writing. Um, I'm not one that went to meetings and things like that because one, that's not really anything that was offered in Southern West Virginia or in my hometown. And for the beginning, I really didn't have a vehicle to go to meetings that were like over an hour away. And then I really didn't trust to go to meetings where other people in recovery or other people who use drugs would be at because I just didn't trust myself enough. So I basically isolated for almost an entire year. Um, and uh, Google was my best friend, my absolute best friend. Like I was doing online recovery before it was ever really a thing. Um, I can remember Googling drug, like what does a drug dream mean? Or what are triggers? Or how to get over triggers? Or, and things like that. And I came across, in my first year of recovery, I came across a page and it was called Addictions Unscripted. It's actually not there anymore, but it was the front of the first social media outlets on Facebook that was truly like, it wasn't like a Facebook group, but what you could do is um, people would write poems or articles or things like that and they would submit them and then the page would uh, post them on the page. So that's actually how um, I was introduced to Ryan Hampton because he had an article that was that uh, was released on that page, and I was like, "Hey, I like him. I'm going to follow him." And about a year after, you know, I was in recovery for about a year. That's when I was like, "Well, 
now I don't want to, now I'm just, okay, I'm going to tell people like, hey, I'm in recovery. Cause you know, a lot of people knew that I was not a very good person. <laughs> and I was like, so they need to know that I am different now. And I started on my Facebook dabbling around with some posts and things like that. I started working. Um, and then a year and a half into my recovery, it was almost two years. My, one of my best friends from not only high school, but uh, he was one of my best friends from active drug use. And before people see, before people go into the people you use drugs with weren't your friends, like me and this boy grew up together before drugs. Like he still supported me after drugs, but um, he overdosed and died on Christmas Eve when I was in recovery for a year and a half. And that absolutely broke me because, you know, all of the, all of the stuff says, you know, people, places, things, you have to change them, stay away from them. But what about our friends who are dying, you know? And I was sitting and it just so happens like his dad was my softball coach in high school. And I was sitting at my friend's funeral and all I could think about was a time when, you know, we just went on a bender and we were sitting in my apartment floor, probably like two o'clock in the morning. And we were talking about recovery. We were talking about what it would look like if we didn't use drugs anymore. Did we even know someone, personally know someone that lived the lifestyle that we had lived and that came out on the other side that had their family, that had a home, that had a job, that was like successfully living life like you know what we had dreamed of. And we didn't know anyone. You know, in Boone County, West Virginia in 2014, 15, at those times, we didn't know a single person that was in recovery. And at my best friend's funeral, I could, that's the only thing that I could think of was that conversation. And that's when I decided that I'm going to be that person that people know. I mean, at least in Boone County, West Virginia, you know, if they need to be, if they ever have that conversation with themselves or with their friends, you know, like me and my friend had, they were going to know somebody that was in recovery, that had been there and knows and understands. That way they could see that it actually was possible and that they're not alone. And I haven't stopped ever since. Amazing. I mean, so many of us know, know people from uh, our past lives that didn't make it. And and I could see how, you know, growing up in a small southern town in West Virginia, that it's not as, as widespread spread about uh, recovery, you know, meetings and AA and all of that. But, you know, it's I mean, it was it's like we're fighting a, a, a war to get people to admit they're in recovery. I mean, being a face for recovery is something that you should be real proud of. I mean, you're, 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 you're blazing a trail. Now I always think of it like what I do, you know, it's, I mean, I may not be there at the end when it finally gets widespread adopted, 
But, you know, at least I, I know I was, you know, in the trenches in, in the early war trying to get things right. Because, you know, people seeing people getting their life back, getting their kids back, you know, you know, getting their driver's license back, you know, finishing their education. That's that's amazing for, for someone that's been, you know, battle that's battled addiction. So it's 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 an amazing thing. Sometimes I think like I've been in recovery now for a little over five and a half years. Sometimes I think about that life feels like it was lifetimes ago. Like the life that I have today and the life um, like that I used to lead, I can't even, it's, it blows my mind, you know? Um, Ian said, Joanna, any temptations? And if so, what strengths keep you on your positive journey? Um, okay, so I'm not a person, I have friends actually who are like, they wake up, at, they say that they wake up every single day and they fight the temptation to use. And that's uh, like, that's their story. And that's something they're, years in recovery, several months in recovery. I've heard different people say different things. I myself personally don't have temptations um, to use drugs. Like I, I mean, okay. So for one, you know, the drug supply is poison now and we have people who are relapsing all the time and dying the first time that they use. And for two, like I just couldn't throw away the life that I have, that I've built and that I've gained. But one thing that like people don't really talk about a lot in recovery is their mental health issues. And that actually is something that I struggle with. Uh, not only am I a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder, but I'm also a person that has survived a suicide attempt in that recovery. Um, did I want to use drugs? No. Did I use drugs? No. Did I want to die? Yes. Did I act out on those ideations? Yes. And I am thankful that I was not successful and that my husband found me. Um, I've spent a lot of time in therapy and in coaching sessions. Um, I started using drugs at a very young age. I was 12 years old. Uh, it was at home with my parents because, you know, it was better to do it at home so that they knew how I reacted or what I was doing. And, um, you know, so I had underlying mental health conditions my whole entire um, active use that, you know, I was self-medicating for. And then when I came into recovery and I started getting all of those feelings and all of those emotions, I didn't have to, I didn't know how to deal with them or how to cope. And, you know, it was a lot for me. So, Mental health issues, yes. And I really think that that's a big trigger for a lot of people in their relapse is the mental health aspect. Um, one thing, if I would have temptations um, or what I tell my friends if they have temptations, that you are not alone and you do not have to be ashamed for having temptations. And you need to have a good support group of friends or family or someone to talk to when you have those temptations. Like you don't have to keep that to yourself. Like that kind of stuff is what'll eat you up from the inside out. You call and you talk to somebody or you message somebody or you text somebody because you're not alone and you don't have to go through that by yourself. 
Good answer. Good answer. I mean, one of the uh, things in treatment that they drilled into us was have have at least five numbers that you can call anytime, you know, day or night, in case you are, you know, triggered. So, I mean, to me, it's all about the community. I mean, you grow your community, grow your friends, and you know, you got people pulling for you, and they know what you've been through, and they know your past. I mean, if you if you're completely honest with people, I mean. I think one of the fears in coming out of addiction is that we're afraid how people are going to uh, react when we tell them, yeah, um, I used to be an addict or I'm in, I'm in early recovery, da, da, da. I mean, but from my experience, I mean, I, I'm completely wide open with my recovery. I mean, my work knows, knows everything. I mean, hell, you can read my book and, <laughs> and, and, and find out about my past, but you know, so I'm completely wide open and it's worked for me. I mean, everyone respects my journey. You know, they, I have friends, I have coworkers that still go out there and, you know, and they drink and, you know, it's fine. I mean, but, you know, they just, they just know that I don't bring it around me because, you know, but, I, but, but it doesn't trigger me though. Like you said, I, I'm, I haven't really felt triggered in years since my early recovery. I find that's a hit and miss conversation with people about how they feel triggered or if they want to use or, you know, and I'm like you, um, like in all of my work, like the job that I have today, like I'm actually a paid organizer and I, what, what started out with like recovery and substance use disorder organizing has moved to, you know, poor people issues, working people issues, unions, um, marginalized communities. And what I find in that is like, regardless of what I'm organizing or what space that I enter into, there's somebody in that space that has been affected directly or indirectly by substance use disorder. They know someone or they've lost someone or they are someone. And so it's just like all encompassing everything that I do. There's still, there's still that. And like you said, I, that's how I got my job. I mean, I have been very loud about my recovery and about my beliefs and, you know, accept multiple pathways. Um, you know, people can change. Parents can get their kids back. Uh, just because you're a formerly incarcerated person doesn't mean that you can't have a successful life. Uh, those are all beliefs that a lot of people in West Virginia don't really, <laughs> don't really side with. So one thing that, one thing that I always find crazy is like, when it's not someone that really knows me yet, and then, um, they're introduced to me and then they later find out that I'm a person in recovery. They're like, Oh my God, I can't imagine that you were ever a person like that. And I'm like, okay, so what does a person like that look like? Yeah. One thing for me that I can all was my detox experience. Don't want to ever go through that mental state of ever again. Oh gosh. That was man. That was one thing, the detox experience. Like, I think I was, that's been so long ago. I don't even, I think I've like mentally blocked it out. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I spent a lot of time in the bed, binge watching Netflix and <laughs> sleeping and in the bathroom. Marshall, oh, Mercer, Mercer in the crowd. What's up? 
Marshall in the house. Marshall is one of our fellow mobilized recovery recovery people. Yeah, man, I'm going to get down on some speed next mobilize. Yes, I'm in. I am in. And some hearts, too. <laughs> we have a tournament. <laughs> yeah. They we'll do be playing all the kinds of <laughs> They do all kinds of cool stuff up there in Maine, man. I got, I got to get Brett and, and, and Jeff Vickers up, up on their spades games. <laughs> no stacking partners, guys. <laughs> we, we're the Recovery Revolution team. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Mobile up 2024. I, had, I have a question for you. Um, so as you were telling your story, it kind of sounded a lot like, and I know a lot of people have seen it recently and I'm, I'm grateful that it's out the, uh, the dope sick special that's on Netflix. It sounds like your town could have been one of the towns from that. Have you seen that? And what are your thoughts on that? Cause I, I, you know, for me personally, I think that it's fantastic that that's become, that that is in the mainstream and that we're talking about, you know, the opioid. Ugh, opioid epidemic and and how it's affected so many people and how a lot of people have gotten into drug use you know just not not intentionally they get in, they get injured and get prescribed to pain pain kill killers and then all of a sudden you know they're they're looking for something more so i'd love to hear your thoughts on that um i have watched dope sick uh i'm thankful that i watched it weekly um, and I got to have like that week break in between each of the episodes because it was it was hard to watch. Um, you know, I grew up in a coal town. I know all kinds of coal miners that got hurt in the mines and that were overprescribed opiates. Um, my cousin was actually one of them and he overdosed and died this past July with Narcan sitting on the table beside of him. Like what started, what, what started so many years ago, you know, it hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped. What happened was their doctors got in trouble while the Sacklers got away with everything and they cut off all of their pills instantly. So that's when all of the dealers brought heroin into the towns and nobody knew what it was. And I'm just, the friends, the family members, I have lost. I mean, it really was like reliving my life already watching that. And then like, just to hear the, you know, Richard Sackler on there say, we've already taken care of West Virginia. Yeah, <laughs> we know. And um, just really, really angry. And we, so going to DC, for anybody that's wa that's watching, Washington D.C. on December the third for a rally in front of the Department of Justice to um, plead with the Department of Justice to bring criminal charges against the Sackler family for beginning and fueling the opioid epidemic. And so that's from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on December the third in Washington D.C. in front of the Department of Justice. And I hope that everyone can make it. How many people are y'all expecting to be out there? Um, oh, I'll name drop some people. <laughs> um, T. Scott's going to be there. I'm not sure if Kay Ellis is yet. Possibly Carly Summers. You know, yeah, Maine's coming. New Maine would come. 
um, possibly Carly Summers. Yes, Carly Summers for Congress, Maryland. Woo -woo. Um, I think Randy Anderson, Johnny Fab, and the Pennsylvania crew. Uh, I'm bringing um, I'm bringing two carloads from West Virginia. Uh, I think Heather and Tanya from um, DC, not DC, crap from New Jersey are coming. I've been rounding up the East Coast for the past like two weeks. Like we going guys, we all went to Vegas. We can all meet in DC. So, any thoughts on medication management? Ciboxin, Cebutax versus 100% abstinence. Um, I am not a recovery pathway versus a recovery pathway type person. Um, I do know, and I believe that the percent is 75 5% of people who are offered um, medication assistance are 75% less likely to overdose in their first year compared to the percent of abstinence-based people, which I think, don't quote me, I'd have to look, is like less than 15%. Um, and I don't think, I don't believe that people have to taper down from their medication. Uh, I think that if a person is in recovery and they are on medication, they are on any kind of maintenance or abstinence or um, you know anything that's making their life better, anything that's helping them to you know to grow and to be a better version of themselves, I don't knock anybody's pathway. And that includes harm reduction, because harm reduction is a recovery pathway, be it a person is going from using IV drugs to smoking, to snorting, to slowing down. Um, all of those are all pathways to recovery. And I think a lot of people seem to forget that like abstinence is not equal to recovery. Like abstinence, there's a lot of people that I know in abstinence-based recovery that have terrible hearts and do terrible things. And while they may not use drugs anymore, their lifestyle does not reflect a person in recovery's lifestyle. Hope I don't make anybody mad. Great answer. <laughs> Great answer. I, I agree. Anything that improves somebody's life, I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, if, if smoking weed keeps you off the hard drugs, hey, smoke, blaze them up. Hmm. So when the pharmacy tells that their subs are backward, then what? Go to a different pharmacy. Um, so, so can you take us through a, a, a day in the life of Joanna Vance? Oh, my God. <laughs> A good day or a bad day? I mean, I've 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 seen your Facebook post, and I'm like, man, she's all over the map. <laughs> um, okay, so it can be like a day in the life of working from home, or it could be a day in the life of not working from home. Um, usually, you get up between five thirty and six o'clock in the morning. Uh, I have three kids, so I have to get them ready for school. Uh, they get on the school bus at 7.20. Um, so between 7 and 8, that's the time that uh, if I'm leaving and have to go to Charleston, that's the time like, I'm getting ready, drinking coffee, running out the door, because it takes me an hour to get to Charleston. 
Um, if it's a day that I get to work from home, I'm not getting ready. I'm drinking coffee and scrolling while checking emails and probably scrolling on TikTok <laughs> until eight o'clock. Um, and then once it's eight o'clock, like I have, I'll have Zoom meetings, um, phone calls, emails. Uh, oh Lord, have mercy. Sometimes I get messages from House of Delegates representatives. I get messages from you know, like our ACLU and our budget and policy people. Um, our legislation is coming up, so we're talking about you know numbers and percentages of what we're gonna like, what legislatures we're gonna find, and who's gonna be. It's a lot of Zoom, a lot of Zoom on days that I work from home. But actually in the back of the studio, I was talking about, he asked if I had headphones. And uh, I was like, yeah, but they're probably, um, you know, not charged because anymore when I have Zoom meetings at home, like I'll either like, if I'm doing something around the house, like I'll set my laptop on my table and then I'll put my, turn my camera off and I'll like wash dishes or do some laundry or whatever. And then when they talk to me, I'll like run over and press the unmute buttons. <laughs> um, and then, you know, my husband works night shift. So he's usually waking up anywhere between like 12 and 2 something like that so like it's juggling with him when I'm home um because he's always like let's go out and do lunch or whatever I'm like just because I'm working from home honey I'm still working <laughs> he's like you're always on your phone that's I get paid to do that <laughs> <laughs> and then my kids get home at 3 20 and so then it's like homework dinner baths getting ready like hanging out with them sometimes like I have late meetings but like my first thing anytime I ever have a late meeting is like if you hear my kids in the background screaming I promise they're still alive <laughs> um now a day that I'm not working from home oh yeah and that's like getting the kids into bed at 8 30 9 o'clock and then me finishing up emails or letters or whatever I have to before I go to sleep and then doing it all over again the very next day. Um, but a day not from home, like I drive an hour to Charleston and we'll have back to back, like breakfast, coffee meetings, breakfast meetings, lunch meetings, um, do this conference call or meeting with this representative or this Senator. We've really been working a lot with uh, Senator Manchin for the Build Back Better agenda. And that's surrounding like the child tax credit and paid leave. That's actually what I went to Washington for. Um, and then those meetings, those are all back to back, packed full uh, also. And then usually on my way to Charleston or on my way home from Charleston, I'm like, I don't really listen to music too much. I have a lot going on inside my head. So <laughs> if anything, I'll listen to like a podcast or something. Um, and then it's the same unless it's baseball season and then baseball season is rough because I get home from work and the kids get home from school and then we're at the ball fields from, you know, 4.30 until 9.30 at night. Wow. My life wow. is nonstop crazy. <laughs> if if people are interested, day. oh, go ahead, JR. I said that's a pretty full day. Yeah, I was just going to ask Joanna if if people are interested in in being a part of it or finding out more information. What are some ways, or do you guys have a website, or how can we find out more information? Um, 
for the Build Back Better agenda or for Mobilize Recovery or the Recovery Advocacy Project? Recovery Advocacy Project. Um, I think it's called recoveryvoices.com. Hang on, let me look. Uh, Voices Project. Um, it is, it's recoveryvoices.com www.recoveryvoices.com and that will take you straight to our national recovery advocacy project page and from that page you can actually sign up and get connected with people that are in your area working so like we're kind of set up by like a state by state basis so like i'm west virginia like we have south carolina north carolina washington dc um there's pennsylvania new jersey uh with all kinds of people i think we have like i could be wrong but there's like at least 36 states i think out of the 50 well 51 yes there is a florida team Tim Perry is probably not on here, but I love Tim Perry. He's in the Florida team. Oh, and who else? There's Angelo and Thomas. Yeah, Florida's got a really good team. Um, And it'll connect you with your team that is in your area. And it's not even just like what they're working on, you know, it's really like a group collaborative thing like each of our state teams are networked for like what can we do what does the community need us to do what can we do for our community it's not about like what I Joanna Vance wants to do in West Virginia or like you know what Angelo in Florida wants to do in Florida we do listening sessions to where like people from the community come and they tell us like this is what I'm seeing. This is what's going on. These are the barriers I'm facing. This is what could help me. And then that's how we develop. Like that's how each of the states develop, like what they're going to do next and where they're going to go from there to help their states and their communities. So yeah, if um, you guys are interested, you can go on over to recoveryvoices.com and it will find, like, it'll connect you. It'll tell you exactly what we are and what we do, who we are and what we do, and then uh, connect you to people that are local with you. Then you can sign up for Vegas. Yeah. (laughs) Vegas was nuts. Like, you think my life sounds crazy, like, on an everyday everyday basis? Vegas was absolutely insane. On the day that we did the public narrative coaching, I literally got up at 4.30 that morning and got ready. Had to be there, like, all the coaches had to be there and ready, I think, at 6.30. Um, And that was, like, for our morning, you know, check-ins and all the stuff of getting ready. And then you know how long that public narrative training, it was all day long and the breaks yeah. were very short, <laughs> very short. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had, us on his breaks. we had debriefing after that. And then I think we ended up, I went out with Daniel and Leanne. Um, good gosh, there was all kind of, we all went out to eat at that one restaurant and, um, that was at like our reservations weren't until like nine o'clock. So by the time I drove back to my cousin's house, because I didn't stay, uh, I didn't stay on at the hotel. Like, I don't know. It was like 11 o'clock and I was so tired. <laughs> so tired. Do not suggest. 
I told them next year we have to have longer breaks or break that down into two days because that's too much. Yeah, Ro yeah Rosie Rose was amazing, amazing, though. I mean, she's, she's, I mean, she's intimidating, but she's amazing. <laughs> I love Rosie. I love Rosie so much. What did you think? Did you enjoy the public narrative training? You had done it the previous year, right? Yeah, I did yeah. it the previous year when she did all the drawings. Yeah, she's, uh, yeah, it, it was really good. I mean, it really helped me develop my own story, which is, you know, in constant developing. Yes. Development, but, you know, it really helped. And that's something that I've come um, to realize. Listen, probably can't even hear out this door. <laughs> that's something that I've come to realize also is that, like, your story is always, no, Logan, beat it. Sorry, that's my son. <laughs> your story is always changing and developing. Like your story doesn't always stay the same. Like certain moments in your life are going to impact you different around a certain thing, whatever it is that you're working on. Like if I'm talking about, you know, if I'm talking about fatal overdose, I might talk about my dad, right? But if I'm talking about, uh, you know, poor people issues. I'm going to talk about what it was like with my parents growing up or um, like if I'm talking about there's so many different things like, you know, we tell our stories in moments, moments of our lives that have impacted us, that made us decide or decide that the world needed changed or that there was something wrong with the world. And, you know, depending on like your target audience or who is listening or who you're speaking to, like those impactful moments can be different times. Exactly. So, implement the 12 step and principles. I didn't understand his question. Um, I think he's wanting to know, or do you go where the addict is? I'm not sure. Implement the 12 steps and principles. It's not a 12 step recover. The recovery advocacy project is not um, a 12 step based organization. It's just a recovery community organization. And that's just not people in recovery from substance use disorder. That's also family members, you know, that have been impacted and lost people uh, to fatal overdose. And, you know, we consider those people are people in recovery also because, you know, they're recovering from the loss of their loved ones. Um, so like, uh, there are a lot of people in the recovery advocacy project that implement the 12 steps and the principles, but we really follow a path of like multiple pathways to recovery. Dual diagnosis. We talk a lot about mental health. Uh, it's, you know, as like a national group, you know, we talk about, a, we talk about all of the areas, all encompassing, like, recovery-friendly workplaces, recovery community organizations, how to talk to your legislatures, um, the different pathways of recovery, uh, how, to how to break and reduce stigma, um, you know, talking about marginalized communities, how to uh, grow relationships and help your LGBTQIA plus uh, family or friends. Um, and dual diagnosis, like that's something that a lot of us are really trying to deep dive into um, because, you know, that's 
even in even in West Virginia right now, um, I'm actually working on a piece of legislation that is specifically for dual diagnosis with the mental health with the national mental health parity. Okay. Yeah, I agree. It depends on who you're talking to, because if I'm talking to a, a military vet, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about things that they identify with. But if I'm talking to someone else, you know, my, my, my story will, you know, be more direct directed towards what they went experienced. You know, it's like, you know, we're constantly peeling that onion. So we, we don't know where it's, where it's going to take us. I had actually developed a whole different story um, to share because I, well, I was a public narrative coach at Mobilize and I had developed a whole new story to share because, you know, a lot of like my main friends, they've heard my story, right? My two minute, this is me and this is why I do what I do. But like it came down to, I was sitting at my table and I didn't know a single person at my table and they didn't know me either. So <clears throat> I, you know, stuck with my same story. Um, and I had thought about it a lot, like before my blouse, I was like, I don't want to tell the same story, but it just came down to those people didn't know me. So I just told my story, you know, for them to get to know me, for them to be comfortable, to have a safe space, to be, to feel like they can share their story too, because that's a lot of trauma. Like those public narrative trainings man there's a lot of trauma stuff the first time the first time i took that training in 2019 and they were like think of a time before you were 17 i was like oh y'all want deep trauma i thought of a time before i was 17 for 17 years yeah brett can you imagine sitting at a table with like five other other people and the the coach at your table is telling you okay you have three minutes to write write a story and then you're going to share it with the group and we're going to you know quiz you or ask you questions about it ready go quiz yeah. you <laughs> i'm not a writer so you literally <laughs> got five minutes it was terrifying <laughs> It was a training with Rosie, like with the whole entire group. And then there was like six people at each table, right? So when you broke out into your small groups, the coach was like, all right, you have five minutes to write your two-minute story. And then you have to share it in front of all these people at this table. And then I'm going to ask you more. I'm going to coach you to dig deeper into your story that you're about to share. Yeah, it was scary yeah, it was stuff. Scary stuff. We had a care team that was um, there on the side for people that, you know, it that were, you know, brought up some underlying traumas that they hadn't thought of or that needed to take a break and go to talk somebody to talk to somebody or like that was something we were like, no, we have to have that. This is very traumatic. We have to have a group of people there to help someone if they need it. And there were a couple people that did. So we we're glad that we did that. Yeah, I was yeah, at Randy Anderson and Kyle. I love Randy. He's going. He's going to be in D.C. with his megaphone. I'm yeah, pumped. Going, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Great idea with the team. So, is there anything else you guys was wondering? 
<laughs> I think you've answered all my questions. Yeah, I think Ian. Well, I don't know if that's a question, but it, but uh, commenting on that, I would say, yeah, it. it I mean, it, it makes you vulnerable. I mean, if if I'm vulnerable, then you know you you you're going to be drawn in a little bit more to my story. And like Rosie says, hit him with the ask. <laughs> yes. What were you asking for? Yeah. What is your I'm ask? Like, I'm like, I'm just asking to get get out of this. <laughs> oh, I just wanted you to know, I really appreciate you, and thank you for like the three years ago answering my like answering my Facebook message and sharing uh my stuff because. I told, like, I even showed my husband when you did it. I was like, look, <laughs> somebody shared it. Yeah, you have, you have yeah, a beautiful yeah. family. They're crazy. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. Like, my kids helped me put Narcan kits together and stuff. And um, my youngest was, actually, my youngest is six, and he's in kindergarten. And he was telling his teacher, right, that I was going to Vegas and his teacher was like, what does your mom do again for work? And my six-year-old's like, oh, she works in recovery and she gives out Narcan and Narcan saves lives. And I'm like, you know what? If a six-year-old can understand that, then what is wrong with everybody else? Exactly. <laughs> but I've been very open with my kids. Um, you know, when we were actively using, it was, you know, we were sick because we were. And now that we're in recovery, we are not sick anymore. Um, and that's the, like, I don't use the language clean. Like I've got this much clean time. Um, I think that's more of a 12 step uh, thing, but I don't like to use the word clean because the stigmatizing language surrounding it, like in the rooms or in like places that, you know, are you're familiar with the people yes but also you know I was not dirty I was sick and dirty is not equivalent to sick so just like clean is not equivalent to recovery because recovery does not equal dirty like or I mean you know what I mean (laughs) Like, I don't know. I get in all kinds of fights on TikTok about that. You're like, ah, you use this. Like, stop using it. I'm going to make a TikTok go up. Like, imagine me walking up to Senator Manchin, just being like, hi, my name's Joanna. I'm an addict. He would look at me like, who let you in the Capitol? Yep. <laughs> That's why we try to use stigmatizing, destigmatizing person first language. Um, because, you know, not everybody identifies as an addict. Not everybody, um, not everybody who uses drugs becomes, becomes addicted to them. Uh, and that, that's something really big I try to push on to everybody. Like, person first, destigmatizing language. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, it looks like we got a question. I'm going to assume that's Jeff because it's through the Recovery Revolution page. Um, he said, what is your ultimate goal with your... Re- service work oh god 
I mean, my ultimate goal was, you know, to curb the opioid epidemic. And to do that, we're going to have to have access to, we're going to have to have access to Narcan, mass access to Narcan. We're going to have to have, um, you know, we're going to have to expand harm reduction. Uh, you know, we're going to have to have jobs. You know, if people come out, if people come out of substance use disorder and into recovery and they don't have, don't have access to a job or to safe housing, um, you know, that's just, just like uh, the recidivism rate in the jails, you know, that's just basically continuing the same circle. Um, so I know it's a really big goal, but yeah, my goal is to curb the opioid epidemic and to see people, to see people, not just people, to see my kids and the next generation of people not have to live through the epidemic that we've had to live through. I know it's staggering. They said uh, 100,000 plus in the last 12 months. Yeah, it's absolute. I mean, and you know what? Until um, substance use disorder and recovery becomes a public health issue instead of a political issue, and until the, and until the politicians start listening to doctors and health experts and real people with real lived experience, those numbers aren't going to go down. I know that's yeah, that's one of the things I love about the, uh, the recovery advocacy project. I mean, if we if the recovery, there's so many people in, in active recovery. If we could get everybody organized and and start using our our power as as one voice, I mean, these politicians would definitely pay attention. I mean, until then, I mean, we're we're, we're kind of jammed up. You know, I hate to say it, but. I mean, I think that that's ultimately what we're working towards right now is, you know, teaching people how to talk to their legislatures. Like, that's the reason teaching people how to share their story for purpose, like changing the narrative. And, you know, there's a whole, whole lot of us. And, you know, there's going to be a whole lot more of us. It's just, it starts with people like us recovering out loud. Exactly. Well, I do appreciate you spending tonight with us. I mean, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I love what you're doing in West Virginia. Uh, you know, I love seeing your, your posts on Facebook. You were just on what, CNN? CNBC. Oh, CNBC, okay. I think it was CNBC, and I think NBC News actually did an article. NBC News did an article, and it had a picture of me and my kids in front of the Capitol, and then business insider did an article and had a picture of me speaking in front of the Capitol. That's super cool. I wonder if I can get that blue check mark beside of my name because I'm good big news. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Like, you don't have enough followers. That's okay. One day. <laughs> One day. But thank you for having me. Um, you know, I appreciate you so much and have always followed uh Recovery Revolution for what probably one of the longest one of like the very first uh Facebook groups or pages that I ever really followed. Um and thank you for all that you do. We try. We, I mean, we, we, our mission is to promote recovery. I mean, if 
if someone has a good message and yeah, and if I think it can help someone, and you know, my, my, my team is, they, they know we, we promote recovery. It doesn't matter how you, how you get sober, as long as you stay sober. And if you, you have a positive message, then hit us up, hit one of us up and we'll share it. We'll, we'll share the message. You definitely do. I'm proof of that. Exactly. <laughs> I, I feel like digging through the uh, our old videos and see if I could pull one of the the early ones out. The very first one has a big West Virginia and the picture of all three of my kids, and it's just like this long post trashing Boone County Commission <laughs> for not letting um, that recovery group, the recovery group that wasn't even mine, right, use their um, community center for free. Wow. <laughs> Have they have have they changed in your town since all of this? I don't live there. Um, I grew that's I grew up in Boone County, but uh, throwback videos of recovery revolution. Um, I don't live in Boone County. Uh, I do know that they have expanded access to a lot of things since that post. <laughs> Um, and I have helped do, uh, helped open some things and get some things started. Um, but I do know here in West, not in West Virginia, here in Beckley, where I live, like there is more than a couple buildings that, you know, people are allowed to use for rent free or like free of charge for meetings, recovery meetings, all recovery meetings, like um, support groups and things like that. So I think that things, you know, looking back to thinking of that post from three years ago to now, like I can definitely see where things have changed. Yeah, it seems like uh, there's so many people recovering out loud now. You know, I remember in the beginning, it was like, you know, just a few pages. And I was like, yeah, let's start a let's let's do something. Let's mix it up a little bit. Let's let's. Let's think outside the box. Brett, think outside the box, buddy. That's right. Always. You know, I got to comment on your red beard, man. <laughs> always, always commenting on it. Awesome. Well, if nobody else has any other questions, I guess we can uh, wrap it up. Uh, I don't see anything in the comment section. Ian says to mix it up, brother. That's right. We're going to mix it up. Well, Joanna, I really do appreciate you coming on tonight and talking with us about recovery advocacy and telling us a little bit about your story. It's absolutely incredible the work you're doing. And after we get done with this live, I'm definitely gonna gonna hop on the website recoveryvoices.com and check out how we can get involved, help out some more. And uh, as always, guys, this episode will be available as a podcast shortly after we're done here on the live. And I have another show called Recovery Survey every Wednesday little short 30 minute episodes and be sure to tune into jeff vickers new show here on the recovery revolution page it's going to be saturdays at uh was 7 it 7 p.m eastern yes I'm, I'm terrible with time zones joanna knows we were texting back and forth and she was like what time is it and i was like oh well i'm central time hold on let me i had to google like convert the time zone because i'm terrible with time zones but that's beside the point as always guys remember it's progress not perfection. Booyah.